We continue our exposition of Luke's gospel, making our way through Luke. We continue in the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12 through the 26th verse. Two healings that belong together because of the theme of authority. Will you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, we humble ourselves intentionally within our hearts before you as your people, thanking you that we are accepted completely in the righteousness of Christ, that we are just but also knowing that within our hearts we are being sanctified and we need word and sacrament until you call us home in order that we may be Christ-centered, in order that we may be conformed to the image of your own dear Son, in order that we might become the Christians that you want us to be, in order that we might hate sin and love those things which are, which are beautiful and in accord with your nature. And so we pray that you would continue to work in the lives of your people so that we may know and understand your word and see Christ on every page. And that as we, your people, are more and more conformed to the image of your Son and worship your name, that we also, even in this service of worship today, would learn of those who have come who do not know you, but having heard of Jesus and how he saves sinners, receive him this day as Lord and Savior of their lives. We thank you for this word, inerrant in the whole and in the part, completely trustworthy, and we bow before its authority. We live under its dominion. Thankfully, we pray these things through Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Standing together with your copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. This is the Word of God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest And make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Two miracles, both of which demonstrate the power and authority of our Lord Jesus. But Jesus' authority now is not less than then. Indeed, more deeply confirmed because of his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the place of power. Shall we not then be even more amazed at the present authority of Jesus than his observers were then? Can the fact of his amazing authority fail to have impact upon our lives today? So two miracles that show the authority of Jesus. Let's look at them. First, Jesus cleanses the leper. The leper's need, oh, it was great. Leprosy covered many skin diseases in the ancient world, not simply Hansen's disease. And in Leviticus chapter 13, 45 and following, which is in the background, we read of how this disease or various skin diseases called leprosy, that these diseases were a symbol of sin. The disease of the leper in four ways would define his life. All he touched was unclean. If he touched a cup, if he touched a utensil, a bed, or even a wall, all of that was considered ceremonially unclean. Secondly, the leper was a social outcast, having no place among the people of God. Leviticus 13, 46, he shall dwell alone in a habitation outside the camp. And so it was a very lonely, isolated life. Thirdly, he would not worship at the tabernacle or later at the temple because he could not join the worshiping people of God because of his leprosy. And then fourthly, he must go about as a mourner. Leviticus 13.45, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. It is a fitting symbol of what God thinks of sin. Unfit for fellowship with God, unfit for fellowship with man. And the rabbis in Jesus' day had refined the law so that a casual encounter rendered a person who, in this casual encounter, touched or was near the leper, rendered him unclean. The rabbi said, if an unclean man afflicted with leprosy stood under a tree and a clean man passed by, the latter becomes unclean. If a clean man stood under a tree and an unclean one passed by, the former remains clean. If the latter stood still, the former becomes unclean. And then the priest. The priest could actually declare a skin disease to be over 
but he could not actually heal. Now, this well might have been Hansen's disease, what we today call leprosy. There was plenty of that in the ancient world. And verse 12 tells us that he was full of leprosy. It might well have been Hansen's. But whatever it was, can you not see that it was grave? Put yourself in that culture and tell me if you do not feel the man's despair. Tell me if you do not feel within your heart the sense of urgency as this man comes to Jesus as his last and final and only hope. Is your need any less today than was this man's long ago? So the leper comes to Jesus. No one could help him but Jesus. None but Jesus can do poor sinners good. And no one but Jesus could heal this leper. Lord, he said, now he doesn't fully know what that means, but Luke would have us to come to a full understanding of the Lordship of Christ as we work our way through this gospel. Lord, if you are willing, had he heard that Jesus was merciful? Had he heard that this is one who heals? Undoubtedly he had. If you are willing, the leper does not know how Jesus will respond. He knows that he has no hope without Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Not only heal me, but make me clean. You can remove the disease. You can put me back into the flow of society. You can make me again to be a part of the worshiping people of God. So will Jesus deal with the spiritual pollution that is behind the disease? Will he heal him? Will he restore him? Will he make him a part of things again? Did not Jesus come into the world to save his people from sin and the effects of the fall? Is not leprosy in the Old Testament a virtual picture of the comprehensive nature of sin from which you and I also need to be redeemed? Do we not see here something of the power and authority of our Savior to forgive our sins? Jesus is willing. See his compassion. He stretches out his gracious hand. Who is this? This is God incarnate. This is the second person of the Trinity become man. And he stretches out his hand and in compassion he touches a leper. He does not turn him aside. He does not reject him. Jesus never rejects those who come to him in faith. He touches the leper. The incarnate God, imagine it. The incarnate God touches this leper. And according to Leviticus 14, 46, whoever touches a leper or things a leper has touched will himself be ceremonially unclean. And that's how he would have been viewed undoubtedly by those who saw him touch this leper. Again, the point is that leprosy in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day was a symbol of the corruption of sin in our lives. And the time would come when Jesus, Jesus would become unclean, when he would go to the cross and would identify himself with us as our substitute by becoming unclean in the sight of God when he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Indeed, he would become unclean, the holy son of God, not morally unclean, but by imputation, by bearing our sins unclean in the sight of the holy God. Well, he's willing. A simple present tense. Thelo, I am willing. And at the command, be clean. The man is instantly healed. In Jesus, the kingdom has come. 
In Jesus, the effects of the fall are overcome. In Jesus, the fallen creation will be restored. By touching the man, Jesus is not dishonoring the law. He is the author of the law. The author of the law meets the demands of the law. Ultimately, this points to the cross where he meets the demands of the law in the sinner's place. Now, perhaps this was Hansen's disease. If so, it began with red spots and then turned to white scales. The whole body would become diseased. The disease would work inwardly and there would be incredible pain. The joints would be dislocated. Fingers and toes would begin slowly to drop off. It was a terrible disfigurement and a slow, slow, painful death. Jesus touched him. The man's disfigurement disappeared. Now, are you willing to say, I am a lost leper, the contagion is within, I need the hand of Jesus to touch my heart. If indeed the Old Testament teaches this is a symbol of the corrupting nature of sin, I am that corrupt sinner in need of Jesus every bit as much, indeed more, than was this leper for the healing of his body. I am in the grip of sin by nature. I cannot deliver myself from my sin. I cannot deliver myself from this death. I need someone to intervene. Jesus' authority is underscored in the miracle. When he heals, I will be clean, but also in his command to the healed man. Parangelo means give orders, so he gave orders. He commanded the man. The man is to be silent, minimizing, minimizing a public hullabaloo, undoubtedly. And the man must show himself to the priest. By the way, we learn from the other gospel narratives about this that he disobeyed. He was so grateful and so joyful that he wrongly disobeyed. <laughs> He had to tell people what Jesus did. It was wrong for him to do that. But nonetheless, the crowds, as you will see next, begin to come. Now, when he is commanded by Jesus to go and show himself to the priest back in the temple, this would have taken an entire week. Two birds, one would be sacrificed, the other dipped in blood of the sacrificial bird. And on the eighth day, there would be the sacrifice of two lambs or a lamb and two turtle doves if he is too poor for the lambs for sacrifice. The point is, these sacrifices point to Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he tells him to make a sacrifice for a proof, or perhaps the better translation, for a testimony to the priests. And in this way, the priests would begin to see the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it will begin to heighten the coming conflict with religious authorities in Jesus' ministry. The response to the healing of the leper, more crowds come according to verse 15. And notice verse 16 in particular, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The Lord Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem and as he does so, he will encounter constant conflict with unbelieving Jewish leaders. But all along, Jesus is communing with his heavenly father. Now that's a great miracle, isn't it? the healing, the cleansing of a leper. But there's another miracle that is coupled with it, and we are to look at that with it because both miracles are here to show us something about the authority of Jesus. So we see, secondly, that Jesus heals the paralytic. P. 
People came far and wide, and the crowds included the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, probably because the priest went to these Pharisees and teachers of the law and said, do you know what's happened? There is a man with leprosy, and Jesus healed him, and I have declared him clean. And so now when Jesus teaches and Jesus heals, we see that the Pharisees and teachers of the law are present. The miracle underscores the authority of Jesus, this one, in a most remarkable way. Men filled with compassion and faith brought another man who was a paralytic on a stretcher. The crowd was so great they couldn't get the man to Jesus so that he could heal him. And so they were very resourceful. In those days, most of the homes had flat roofs and there were steps that went up to the roof. And so they simply took the man up to the roof as Jesus was teaching in the house. They removed the layer of reeds and clay and they made a hole. And as Jesus was teaching, they lowered the man down right in front of him. Now, we've read this so many times, I think we fail to see the humor, but it really is a funny thing. They lower this man down on his pallet right in front of Jesus. What will Jesus do? Well, you'd think Jesus would heal the man, but not now. That's not what he does. What does Jesus do? Well, look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. They lower the man down because he is a paralytic expecting Jesus to heal him. Jesus, seeing their faith, says, I forgive you your sins. You're pardoned of your sins. He forgave the man his sins. Jesus' miracles, you see, are never simply about healing. They are about who he is and what he has come to do, the establishment of the kingdom and the forgiveness of our sins and the bringing of a new order of things. And so Jesus' words caused offense. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Now they are drawing a correct conclusion. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, who can? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're drawing a correct conclusion. They are exactly right. No one can forgive sins but God. Jesus perceived their thoughts. Why do you question in your hearts? And they are within their hearts accusing him of blasphemy, a very serious charge indeed. Leviticus 24 teaches us what must happen to a blasphemer. And they think that a mere man is taking to himself a prerogative that belongs to God alone. Now, let's be clear. Only God can forgive sins. Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 103, 12, Isaiah 1, 18, Jeremiah 31, 34. The verses are so numerous, it is almost a work of super arrogation to quote them. Only God can forgive sins. So either Jesus committed blasphemy or he is God in the flesh. That's the conclusion, and that's a correct conclusion. Either he is God in the flesh, or he is a blasphemer. But you can't sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. You have to know 
who he is, and you have to determine by faith to believe in him, or you don't believe in him, but you can never sit on the fence. And if he is God, which he is, he claims your life, he claims your heart, he claims your thoughts, your imagination, your actions, he claims you, everything about you. Who is this that would say your sins are forgiven? Do you see how lofty is the person of Christ on the pages of the New Testament? He says that he can forgive sins. He says in another place that if you don't believe in him, that you will be eternally judged by him. He says that the fate of all people, all people depends on him. Jesus believed that he would sit on the judgment seat at the end of the age and that his word on that day would be final. None of this nonsense about Jesus being a great teacher after the pattern of a a Buddha or a Mohammed. You either receive him as God in the flesh or you reject him altogether. But if you reject him, Jesus says that he will come on the clouds of heaven at the end of the age and he will be your judge. So much hangs upon Jesus' forgiveness of sins in this passage It is a stupendous claim, and let me make plain again. You cannot simply say Jesus is a great teacher, a great moral instructor. He is not a great teacher, and he is not a moral instructor if he is not who he claimed to be. He would be a liar and a blasphemer if he is not who he claims to be. He's one or he's the other. But see Jesus' authority? Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Is Jesus' word really authoritative? Can Jesus really forgive the sins of sinners? The miracles of Jesus attest the reality of his claims. He remarkably points to who he is by calling himself in verse 24, the son of man. Look at verse 24, that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now we've seen that this morning already. In the passage that Pastor McDonald read from Daniel chapter seven, there is the son of man who stands before the ancient of days. When Jesus says he is the son of man, he is referencing Daniel chapter 7, and he is saying, I am the heavenly figure of that passage. He is saying he is divine. He is saying he is deity. The kingship portrayed by the term son of man from Daniel 7 was not only supernatural, but as Gerhardus Voss says, it was transcendental. Voss goes on to say, it moves in an altogether different sphere from the kingdom which the spirit of Judaism favored and expected. So it's not some passing remark when Jesus says he is the son of man. He is claiming that he is divine, that he is God. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, Pick up your bed and go home. 
as if to say, well, see for yourself. Do I have the authority to forgive sins? Have I not confirmed it by miracle? Man, get up, take your mat, go home, and the rest of you figure it out. The miracle brought great joy. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And there was great praise and awe. Verse 26, and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Two miracles. Nothing esoteric, nothing difficult to understand. Two miracles, both of which show us something about the authority of Jesus to heal, to forgive. So thirdly, look with me briefly at the authority of Jesus as we see it in these passages, in these miracles. The authority of Jesus in these miracles should have three effects upon our hearts. I'll give them to you. Amazement, encouragement, and a conviction of his converting power. The authority of Jesus should bring to us, as it did to those who observed when Jesus healed, it should bring to us a sense of amazement. Now I simply ask you the question, is your spiritual life as a Christian so dull that you've lost your sense of amazement? That you can read a passage such as this and you're no longer amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? That you can read a passage like this and you're no longer amazed? Oh, we know these passages. We know these things are true. But does it grip your heart with amazement? And it is confirmed by miracle. Someone here is probably thinking within your mind, I can't believe in the miracles of the New Testament. I don't believe them. I don't believe Jesus did this. Again, let me say, if you do not believe Jesus to be who he says he is, then set aside this idea that somehow he can be a great moral teacher for you. That's, that's, that's something you can't hold. He is not that if he is not the miracle worker, the savior, the redeemer, that he says he came to be if he is not God in the flesh. Jake Russell Machen is a name that is well known in this congregation. He was one of the great New Testament scholars of the early 20th century. And in his early days of study in his university career and later in his seminary career, he went to Germany and he spent time studying under the great liberals of the day, the theological liberals of the day. And he would sit under Hermann, and he would listen, and he would, be, he would be moved by what he was hearing the professor say in the class. And he would have doubts about things like the miracles of Jesus. And then Machen would go back to his room, and he would open the Gospel of Mark, and he would read straight through all 16 chapters of Mark's Gospel, and he would come away not only refreshed, but with a deeper conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. No one, Machen said, could invent the Jesus that we read on the pages of the Gospels. It is simply an impossibility. The New Testament, he said in another place, would be easier to believe without miracles. 
The New Testament would be easier to believe without miracles, but then it would not be worth believing. The point is simply this. When you see your need, when you see your guilt, when you see that you stand before a holy God lost and undone, when you see, I am that leper, I am that paralytic, morally speaking. Indeed, I am dead in trespasses and sins by nature. I can do nothing to save myself. I cannot even bring myself into a savable state. When you see your need, then miracle will not be a problem for you. Because you will see that the only way that you could be saved and redeemed from the sin that is in your heart and the guilt upon your soul is if God did it and intervened into time and space in the person of his son. That the only way that I could be forgiven of my sins and my guilt be removed would be if an infinitely valuable sacrifice was substituted in my place to bear the wrath of God so that I might be free. When you see your need, then you will not only have no problem with miracle, you will embrace the miracle of the New Testament because you will say, only this can meet the need of my heart. And you will live in amazement. Secondly, it gives encouragement because it includes the authority to forgive sin. Dark ugly sin that separates us from God. Return to the question of verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier to say? Now turn it over in your mind. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? How would you answer that? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. But let me assure you, it's not easier to do. Because in order for Jesus to forgive you, it required that the holy, sinless Son of God go to a cross and shed his blood and bear God's wrath. And what we have in the forgiveness of this sinner is a prospective look toward the cross. The cross that would come gives to Jesus now the authority as God in the flesh to pardon this needy sinner. So it looks to the cross. But I'm incredibly encouraged as I go through my life to remember that my sins are actually pardoned in Christ that I am justified by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone. But also, as a Christian, as I sin against my heavenly Father, my little children, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do we begin to understand the depth of our sin? Do we begin to understand the overplussed grace of God that can forgive our sins? Do we begin to understand the greatness of our Savior? Do we receive the encouragement in our hearts that we need daily to walk with head up because Jesus died and rose again and because he promises to forgive us our sins? But also we see here this third effect that the authority of Jesus should have upon us is the recognition of his converting power. The recognition of his power to convert is demonstrated in his power to heal and in his power to forgive. So we call sinners to faith in Christ. And when we call sinners to faith in Christ, to use church historical language, it's never an Arminian call. Jesus is not wringing his hands, wondering, will that sinner come or will he not? I've done all that I can do, but now it's up to him. No, no, no. A thousand times, no. Jesus is the sovereign Savior. Jesus can regenerate. Jesus can raise you from spiritual death. Jesus can forgive your sins. Jesus can set you free. His will is sovereign, not yours. And it is all of grace from first to last. May the Lord stretch out his hand to many this morning and say, I will be clean. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. Now, you know, the absolute power of Jesus in this passage must be underscored in another way. Now, here's something very remarkable. To heal a leper in the day in which Jesus had his earthly ministry, to heal a leper was considered by the Jews equivalent to the raising of the dead. You remember how the king of Israel read the letter from the king of Aram when Naaman the leper came in 2 Kings 5. The king said, Am I God? Can I heal and bring back to life? What does this fellow, why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? What the king understood was that only God could raise the dead and to have leprosy was the equivalent of death. The rabbi said in Jesus' day that it was as difficult to heal a leper as to raise the dead. Now talk about authority. We all here are by nature dead in trespasses and sins, but God's saving dominion has arrived. Jesus says to sinners, be clean. Jesus touches lepers. And Jesus, the risen one, raises the dead. His authority has not changed. His authority is more evident. He is the one who has ascended on high and who has received all authority from the hand of the Father in heaven and on earth. And he can forgive sins and he can raise the dead. Jesus Christ raises the dead. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, are you listening? Jesus Christ raises dead people to life. 
your sins that are so deep and so dark and so great and your guilt that is overwhelming, Jesus forgives sins. Jesus removes guilt. That is authority. That is who Jesus is. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. And God's people said, Amen.